Hello, I'm Marie Sleiman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is balancing family relationships when a parent has a limiting condition. My guest is Jenny Webster, educator, communicator, and low vision consultant from Cape Town. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. It's great to be here. Just to remind our listeners, after our conversation, Jenny will give us her three best tips on what to do when you feel overwhelmed, and then it will be fun question time. Jenny, you started losing central vision due to Stargard disease at age nine. Yes. Now, I know you want our talk today to be more general. Uh, we're going to focus on loss of capacity and reaching for healthy solutions. But could you start by giving us a little background on yourself and your family? Right, so I was um, born in Johannesburg. I'm the third of four children. And three of us got Stargardt's disease, um, which is a juvenile onset form of macular degeneration. So it was devastating for my parents, obviously, to find out that three of their children carried this um, degenerative disease that is carried on a recessive gene. But by that stage, we were too old to put back. <laughs> we were already sort of 9, 10 and 11 when they found out. Um, so really went through life pretending that I could see um, because central vision loss, you can still move around very easily, but you lose your ability to read and to write and to focus or see faces and emotion. Mm. So I w just became a very good pretender um, and I moved very fast to cope with that. So loved sport, running, swimming, whatever could cover my blind spots easily. Then I went to university and uh, to study um, human movement studies, sort of a, a form of sports science. Um, and then I met Andre there. And so we got married in 1989 and we've got two adult children now. Andre was in education and um, is now also in the helps um, sort of ministry, helping people. So that's where we're at. Now empty nesters and about to become grandparents. So that's exciting too. Oh, I didn't know that. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think in the process, I realized that um, losing my sight very gradually, firstly, is a blessing because you get to adapt your life as you go along. But you also have to learn to adapt your relationships as well. You know, I was so busy pretending I could see um, that a lot of people who are close to me didn't understand why I did certain things. Um, I became the life and soul of the party, always cracking jokes. And only later on, when I got, can I got cancer when I was about 45. And from that time, I realized actually I need to get to grips with this loss and the grief that had gone on for years. Yeah, so sometimes we don't take the time while we're in the trauma. We, we, we can't process it. And um, so cancer was also a blessing because I got to stop everything. And from there, I realized, wow, you know, I've got this low vision. Why am I alive? You can go through that depressing state of your purpose and while you're on the planet. And, um, and then realized, you know what, I've got experience in losing my sight. I'm really good at it. <laughs> And, and how could I use this to help other people who are new to it? And I think that was a turnaround point for me to really take a couple of years to change my thinking around um, disability and limitation. Um, so out of that, I'm happy to talk about some of the relational adjustments we made as a family, as a married couple, um, as a mum, 
and as a friend as well, to be able to um, become congruent with this process. Yeah, so you can speak from your own experience. And do you think you could give some examples of limiting conditions that you think would have a similar effect? I think anything where one person has a particular physical need or emotional need, um, whether a child has fallen and broken an arm and now needs help for eating and bathing, um, doing daily tasks, whether it's a, it's a temporary thing, whether it um, is aging, aging is losing capacity, your body can't do what it used to be able to do. Um, so that's also a limiting condition. Sometimes um, stress, mental health issues, and just getting to a place where you can't cope with stress is also very limiting and, and requires some adjustments, readjusting what is possible in life and what is helpful to do and what is now no longer helpful to do. And I think through this, yeah, I think everybody's had times in their, when they're sick, um, need extra help. They know what it feels like. But when it comes to a degenerative disorder that's very long-term, it's difficult to cope with. Um, but there are some coping skills and some tips, which we'll talk about later, on how to keep some hope up when you are losing capacity. Yeah. How does a limiting condition affect the person? Or how can a limiting condition affect the person who has it? Oh, I can only speak from my experience in this. And uh, this is where, for me, the biggest thing was value. Mm. You know, as a child, I, when you're 10 and you get told or 9 years old and I was told, um, you, you're going to go blind. And the only blind people I'd ever seen were beggars on the street. And so my immediate loss was, who am I going to marry? What job am I going to do? How will I be a beggar if I can't see who to beg from? As a child, you make up these stories in your head. And I think for me, the, the biggest one is around value. Will I, am I valuable? Mm. And I think that's what people, as they're aging, like, I've got no value anymore. I've been chucked out, <laughs> thrown out. And so I think other people also face that. And, and, and also getting to a place of saying, well, at one stage I applied for a teacher's bursary because um, I was head girl of my school. I had provincial um, colors in sport. You know, I think I was just trying to prove to myself that I was capable, that I was okay. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was trying to be valuable. And then I applied for a teaching bursary. And they said, no, you can't teach because you're disabled. And it was the first time I found this block. Mm -hmm. I thought, is this because of who I am or because of what I can and can't do? Because, you know, I thought that I could do everything. Um, which, funnily enough, I actually couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't see the, the smile on my friend's face. You know, there's certain things I hadn't really got, come to grips with. But it did affect value. And I think that's, in, you know, as people are, have limitations, they feel, am I, am I really valuable? Um, so that was been my process. And I've come out of this really finding that the best way for me to cope with this in my thoughts is to separate who I am and what I can do. And they're two different things. And within what I can do, my ability, there are ways that I can help myself to adapt and increase my own ability, upskill, learn new things, learn technology to help me. Um, but it doesn't change who I am. And I think that value in the core of every person is um, who I am I. And I can only do that in relationship. And for me, you know, everyone has their own way to do that. And I feel like I am 
a child of God. That's the way I cope with it. Other people have their ones. I am loved. Um, I am a mom, a wife, a, you know, a friend. And those relational things help for me to ground that who I am. And that is where I need to find my value, not in my ability or disability. Yeah, many wise words <laughs> just spoken. Now we've talked about Andre, your husband, and how in your experience can a limiting condition affect your partner? Well, it's because of a limiting condition that I met him, actually, because we picked up the pen together to <laughs> sign up for the chamber choir <laughs> oh. at university. And I thought, how am I going to write my name on this paper at this society's festival? And, uh, and he picked up the pen and I said, oh, great. Won't you help me and put my name down there? Not realizing that he now had my name and my phone number oh. or my res address in those days. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I'm meeting Andre. Andre is a, care, a very caring person. Um, he is like that because of where he came from and how he grew up and the loss he faced in his life. So in some ways, where he needed to be needed, I needed someone to need me. Um, so later in our marriage, we had to look at that because every marriage goes through ages and stages. But I think through this whole thing, um, it's been positive and negative. Um, the tough side is he loves beautiful things and I can't always enjoy the beauty of visual things with him. I've learned to appreciate music. He, Yeah, we, we'd go to shows and things I couldn't always see. Um, we love, both love sport. And so us, <laughs> we'd go together and I'd stand at the side of the field with my binoculars on the quarter field of the hockey <laughs> with the under nines playing. But, um, yeah, it's something we enjoyed together very much. So there was a part of it where it's sad that I couldn't participate with him. But he's also then included me in things, you know, describing things to me um, and helping me. So sometimes because I grew up so independent, I'd shun his help. And then he'd feel rejected yes. because he needed to be needed, mm. which he no longer needs to be needed. We've had to work that out. So what is functional help and what is relational help? Mm. When do I need him? And um, so, yeah, so there's a sadness that goes around it. Uh, we can't make eye contact, which is very big when it comes to intimacy in relationship and friendship. But I'm very good at body language, um, just seeing the angle of a head or the way a person's form is to help understand how they're feeling. So while I can't do facial expression, um, I can read body language quite well. So, yeah, we've had to learn how to cope with this. And the bonus has been that we do a lot of things together. So at one stage, people said, why are you guys always so connected and you're holding hands? You know, it's like, you know, just just live. You know, you've been married for long enough. You don't have to hold hands anymore. So some people were quite offended. Really? And I, yeah, friends. Like, And then I, because I hadn't said I need to hold his hand because I don't know who's in the room. Mm. And I can't see when I move from a bright environment into a dark room. I can't see if there's a change in level, if there's a step. But if I'm holding his hand, I can. So I think people hadn't realized we were physically had a need for each other because I was still pretending that I could see. Um, a lot of my friends didn't, they had to be reminded that Jen actually can't see me. Um, yeah. And then we're coming to the effect of a parent's loss of capacity on their children. Yeah. So on this, there's also the positive and negative side of this. 
The difficult thing is um, when you see your children grow, so missing out on facial expression. I always prayed hard because when there's swimming pools, the thing, things that can children can pick up and swallow. And, mm. you know, I knew every day, man, I need a special extra eye angel or something to protect my kids and 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 my one friend pulled uh, my son out of the out of the swimming pool three times <laughs> so i you know i'm just grateful um for that and maybe we can just cut some of that out <laughs> so one of the negative things is missing out on things like not being able to take my daughter shopping yeah. And not to go shopping with mommy and for the girls to have some time out together or being able to drop the kids off with a play date or say, hey, we're coming over for a play date or doesn't this one want to come over and play and I'll drop them off at your house afterwards. So not being able to drive is definitely a limitation um, before Uber was around. Um, I think being part of concerts, seeing the kids play sport. Yeah, I was always there cheering and made a lot of noise on the side of the field so that they would know I was there um, watching and cheering them on. But there was some missing out. on my, my, Our son is very noisy, and so we always knew where he was. Mm. Um, and he's a singer, musician as well. So there's always noise going on around him, and he's a, he's a very um, a present character. When he's in the room, you know it. And... Um, the negative side is that he, as an eldest child, took responsibility for me. So when we went somewhere, he felt like he had to hold mommy's hand. And I would say to him, oh, when we go to this place, will you let me know if Auntie So-and-so is here? So although he was two or three years old, mm -hmm. he was already looking out for who's there on my behalf. So it looks like I'm holding his hand into the party. Meanwhile, he's looking for this particular mommy to connect me with. So I knew that I was with somebody yeah. that knew me. Which was fine. It's great. Your kids, you know, the child's helping me. But then when he got about 16, 17, he, he realized he'd missed out on his childhood. He read this deep, deep burden on him that he had was responsible for his mother's happiness. Um, so that was part of his journey, which he shares about now. And he, we had to just really release him from that. Um, and he went through quite a lot of healing around that. Yes, there was Aina. The fun side for my daughter is that um, we have um, navy blue couches and we have we have plain furniture because I, you know, if the, if the environment's too cluttered, I can't see. I lose things on it. I lose the cat and my shoes on the Persian carpet. You know, <laughs> um, trip over over things. So our, our furniture is quite plain. But um, they, she had a navy blue school blanket. They would like to take a blanket to school. So um, she, when she didn't want to do chores, she'd sit on the couch very still and cover herself with the blue blankets. And then I wouldn't ask her to wash the dishes or hang up the washing because I couldn't see where she was. Anyway, so that was quite fun. But also uh, the, the hard side of that is that sometimes she was very lonely and she needed me. Um, and being a quiet child, I couldn't see that expression on her face. So that was painful as a parent but also gave us things to talk about when they were young adults. The positive side is that from very early on, they could show me where the cheapest item was. They learned to add and see the value of numbers from before they went to school. They learned to describe things. They both are very good at describing and writing because they got to describe what was happening in the world. Um, so we'd walk with them in the pram and we'd have conversations and they would be telling me what color post box, what number that house is. Oh, those people really need a gardener. Oh, this garden's lovely. And there are petunias. And so they learned names of flowers and 
things because I couldn't see them. So that was a bonus. And they've both grown up with compassion for people who have limitations. Yeah, so they're both involved with helps as well, helping people in their area of work now as adults. Yeah, what strikes me is that you find it easy to mention and name these things, you know, the, the, on the good side and the, in quotation marks, the bad side. Yeah. And uh, maybe that is also something if there is a limiting condition in the family that one should do from time to time. I think every family has limitations. We all... Personally, Andre and I believe that, Andre, my husband, he and I believe that every family is dysfunctional and we learn to function within our own, we, we make a culture for our family or a value for our family. We learn to cope in that space. Mm-hmm. It's when our kids get married or we, we work in situations and things upset us. And as soon as there's a sort of a gridlock somewhere else or a gridlock in our family, that that's the time to communicate, to actually not just talk about or you know, what went on or when you explode, the anger comes out or the frustration comes out. But to get to the bottom of, but what, what is the story behind that frustration? Because different things mean different things to two people. What seems like a normal situation to one person is devaluing for another person. Um, I'm not sure if I'm making sense. You are. I'm, yeah, I'm just thinking that what you're saying, every family has their own structure and culture. Mm. But we often don't think about that. No, I think that's the thing with worldview. Is it's like we we've, we've grow up with a pair of glasses. We learn to see through, should I say, the eyes of our heart mm. or the eyes of our head. I don't actually know where you keep your heart and your brain and your mind, actually, which part of the body it really is. Because I'm sure somewhere my heart is my kidneys as well. <laughs> I think I keep anxiety there. <laughs> um, but with the way we look at the world, um, it's almost like we've got a pair of glasses fixed to our face and we don't realize we're wearing them until somebody else, you know, cracks the glass in front of the way we're seeing and, we, and it offends us. Mm. And, and then you realize, but this person obviously is not seeing life the way I see it. And that's the great thing about about a disjunct in, in, in friendships or life, uh, hard times, because they force you to communicate. And even gridlock within marriages. Raising teenagers is like herding cats. I mean, everyone, you wish they'd born each with a manual um, on, on how to. But then if they were, we wouldn't know how to love. And I think this is where the messiness of people's lives and the way we perceive things is really quite great if we can turn it into learning how to love. Yeah. Um, so I think every family can communicate on things that don't go well. Yeah, and that leads me to my next question because we're talking about awareness here. Mm. And I want to ask how family members can honor their own needs and those of family members. So one needs to be aware mm. of those needs, your own yeah. and those of your family members. Yeah. And then how do you go from there? Well, as I say, I can only talk from experience. I don't really have a, a pat answer for that. <laughs> but it usually happens where there is discord or something's not in harmony. So, example, my kids were watching television as teenagers and I'm trying to make, I don't know, scones. And I'd say, uh, why don't you please just quickly read the recipe for me? Um, how many mils of you know, flour must I put in? And it's like, mom, we're watching TV now. Mm. You know, And for me to realize... 
but aren't you helping your mother? You know, so I'm letting my need now spill into their into their space instead of once we could talk about it and then say there's a problem here. Let's talk about it. you. You can watch. You're allowed to watch two television programs a day, and you've chosen this one. So when you do TV, I'll back out and I will wait, or I'll find another way to solve the problem. So that only happens. We only realize where the boundaries of our relationships begin and end by overstepping them. And that's why I think there's no harm in conflict as long as you can communicate about it. You don't just blame and shout and, you know, sometimes it starts like that. Um, but when the boundaries are overstepped, it's a good time to, to realize, okay, we've got something to talk about. Yeah, I never um, thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. So if, if you want to become aware, you must just wait till there's trouble and it will show you. Absolutely, absolutely. So it, it's like driving a car with the indicator lights. You, you're driving along and everything's going great, but when the indicator light goes on, you know I need more petrol, more oil. And in family relationships, indicator lights are not bad. They're actually great. They're like, we need to do something. We need to change something here. Mm-hmm. Somebody's in need. And how can I help them? How can we as a family help them meet the need? I think it's also for parents to respect children. They're not little adults. They are children and we have to parent them, but they also can be respected um, when we do overstep or we do something hurtful. Um, for me as a visually impaired mom, there were times I would blame my children for saying, who did this? Da, 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 da. Well, it doesn't really matter who did it. No one intended to do it. But I got frustrated because I slipped or I cut my finger because someone put the knife in the wrong drawer or something like that. Realizing it's not a blame game, but learning to respect and then to go back and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I lashed out. I was frustrated and I was also in shock because I cut myself and I'm in a hurry now. And yeah, I am sorry that came out. And give the opportunity for your little one to say, mommy, I'm sorry too. Mm. You know, it builds understanding and openness in your relationship. Yeah. So you're talking about respect and personal boundaries. How can family members establish personal boundaries that create respect? I think it's also the process of everyone knowing they're loved. Because unless you respect yourself, you, how must other people respect you? So to treat our children with honor, actually to treat everybody with honor, even people who are unkind, you know, they're they, hurting people hurt people. Mm. And if we can come with that awareness, it can help us to realize, okay, this person's being very unkind. I can either react to it or realize this is their problem. It's spilling into my world and I can say, no, that's enough. I'm not letting that into my hula hoop. Everyone has a, what we call a hula hoop around them. And what do they allow? What do you allow in your hoop? And that's something I'm not in control of a lot of things being visually impaired. But one thing I am in control of is what I allow in my hoop. So that can be an emotional thing or a physical thing or, um, yeah. And then the way we love people, we have to adjust our hoops to be alongside each other. We can't just say, this is me and that's it. None of us are set in stone. We all have, if we want to really attach to each other, we have to be like puzzle pieces where, you know, the one, the one is a strength that clicks into someone else's weakness. Mm-hmm. And those, that's what helps us to match as people and find that comfortable harmony. Um, and that's the difficult thing about marriage. 
and family and, and, and getting old, <laughs> you know, because every stage in life brings new challenges, um, new questions, changing identity. Who am I now that I'm aging or becoming a grandparent or my child's going to school for the first time. So that is a state of development for the parents and the children. Uh, often we see development just as a childhood thing. Yeah. You mentioned your son who tried to take care of you more than mm. was comfortable for him. Mm. So could we talk about healthy interdependence? Interdependence, yeah. What, so, what is that? Well, what I think it is, <laughs> is somebody realizing what I need, but not necessarily the solution on how it's going to be met. So, so for example, we got to a stage where my husband was working full time. I've only ever worked part time. He, you know, I was doing the kids in the home and the family, but he, because I couldn't drive, he was doing the shopping as well. So, you know, being full time and then being in education and having marking and exams, we had evening meetings and commitments as well. Eventually, we realized I needed to actually help with the shopping. So I thought, okay, I cannot do that. I've got no transport and I actually can't see what I'm buying. I just look, I go on pensioners day and I look for the biggest hole in the shelf and that's usually the cheapest product. So <laughs> if anyone wants tips on how to shop without seeing, <laughs> or you can see colors and then you can get hold of me. <laughs> um, so Andre and I sat down, I said, okay, well, I will figure out how we can meet this. Let's talk about it together. And then I realized I've got a group of friends, but I, I don't want to be a burden to anybody. So I got hold of a friend of mine who is a very good, she thinks in spreadsheets, you know, it's if I write her birth card, it's dear, and then you put her name in the block next to it. Um, you know, she just is very organized. And I said to her, look, I've got this problem. Would you be able to help me? I, I really, I'm embarrassed always asking people for help because firstly, they don't say no. And then they rearrange their whole day. And I feel like I've really put them out. Um, and I need some help with this. Would you help me? I've identified five friends. And um, if we could just ask one of them to take me shopping once a month. So someone will take me on the first day, someone on the second day, you know, first Wednesday of the month, second Wednesday of the month, whatever. And she said she'd love to do that. So she called the people, set up a spreadsheet for the year. And then I was sorted. I knew that every, you know, and then the shopping was sorted. And the fun thing was I got to spend time with my friends. And um, and we got to laugh a lot. We just laugh a lot because I love to laugh. And nobody really likes grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. um, so to be able to do it with a friend and say, okay, today we're shopping yellow. We're only putting yellow stuff in, whether it's washing powder, <laughs> peanut butter, because cereal, it's yellow day. So, you know, just to make um, something boring really fun. So I think it's also about as people age, of they realize well, I can no longer reach my toes. Okay, so there's two ways to do it. I either need to get a, ask a friend, to, can you come and do my toenails for me once a, you know, once a month? Or I need to get to the podiatrist or to the nail technician to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's about saying, and who can help me? So just because there is a need doesn't mean that that person needs to meet it, but can maybe help the need be met. Yeah, so it mm. seems to me you really unpack the problem. You say, this is what it is, mm. and let's see, let's come up with a creative solution. Yeah, and so that's why I love, I love solving problems. And I'll just put this in here now, is that I, I think that people in the disability sector, people who have identified disabled, are really a treasure trove of, of creative solutions because everyone with a disability is creative because you're just forced to be. 
sometimes you've got to be creative to get out of bed, <laughs> get into your house. And, uh, you know, so in some ways there's a bonus on having a limitation. I think innovation is born out of limitations and problems. Yes, I think your website attests to that because you have many, many tips and, well, all sorts of things on your website about how to go about making it easier if you have a vision problem. Yes, yeah. So there are a lot of adaptations you can do that seem like common sense, but for someone who's got too much eyesight, they're so distracted by the visual that they don't see how this could be solved. Some people are so sighted they're blind. Because they don't experience the problem. No, because they're so used to, uh, you know, 80% of your, of your information that comes in your sensory information is visual. So you can get distracted by the visual mm. when sometimes there are absolutely simple solutions right there, but, um, you know, you can't see them because there's too much to distract your eyesight. Mm. Mm. Now, you mentioned loss, and it always involves grief. So could we talk about cycles of grief? Mm. So just as in with losing a loved one, um, losing capacity also is a process of loss and grief. So just as with losing a loved one, you go through, you know, the shock and the denial of a person passing away, and then, and then you go through that bargaining process with God or whoever, and then the anger, you know, and then starting to deal with the emotions, and eventually coming out with acceptance, and then being able to move forward, changed but never back to how you were before mm-hmm. a loss. And I think, you know, those cycles, it doesn't follow an order. Sometimes I'm having an absolutely great day and then I will pour some coffee and I'll overflow the cup, you know, let the cup overflow. And suddenly I'm frustrated and angry. So I feel like, yeah, I can go and write a great article or help somebody out, but I can't pour a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and it'll frustrate me. So... It's just those little moments where you realize I used to be able to do something and now I can no longer do it. Um, My husband and I, we love to play Scrabble because I love words and crossword puzzles, things like that. And so when Scrabble became so difficult, I... I had to grieve because every Monday we would play play Scrabble and take our Scrabble set on holiday. And now, you know, what are we going to do? It was hard. It seemed so silly. But it was a piece of my life, my relating to the family and a board game that we love together to, to let go of that. Um, but to actually realize that and to cry about it, I felt so silly. But just acknowledging it and, and then realizing it's okay. I'm alive. We're still a family. There are other things we can do together. And once I got to the acceptance of it, I realized, hey, my iPad, I'm going to use that. And now I'm playing Scrabble again, but now I use my iPad. And to, you can do that. Yeah. Everyone with a smartphone, you can use that. But people, if they want to know how to use technology um, as a magnifier, their smartphones and iPads uh, can get hold of me as well. (laughs) Mm. Um, But after that, it created a solution because I had suddenly come to an acceptance. And then the solution popped into my head. Oh, but there is a way around this. But with any kind of loss, and I think aging is um, a limitation as well, realizing that you're facing loss and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And this is where it's important to, to acknowledge the grief, to stop and feel the feelings, because if you push them down, they're going to come out at a tangent somewhere. Mm. So to just say, it's okay to feel the feelings, but I need to choose an appropriate place to feel it. Go for a walk, go and cry, go and um, punch the cushions in your lounge or, you know, find a place to cry or sing or 
whatever your thing is, to come to terms, draw and art and creativity, just to let that emotion out somewhere is very helpful. But coming to a place of change, of a new kind of normal, mm. is helpful. And this is where I think with COVID it's been so difficult because where's the end of the tunnel? When is this going to change? And yet, how do we keep pace with where we're at? And this is where it will come to the tips. I'll speak on the three tips yeah. is that how to cope when you're overwhelmed because a loss without an end can be overwhelming unless you make milestones for yourself along the way. You stop and you build you know, build a milestone. Some of the old roads used to have literally milestones. A little um, for, for listeners who are younger, mm -hmm. they maybe not understand, but when they were building a long road between places, they would put up a stone and paint it white. So whenever you passed that, you knew one mile had gone. So you could count the miles by these white stones next to the road. And I think in the journeys, to not journey alone, to journey with other people, to find a rock, a religion, a faith, a, something to anchor yourself to outside of yourself, something created um, to anchor yourself to, and then have people with you to help you make a milestone and a memory. And we'll talk about that as well, to celebrate the milestones and when it becomes too hopeless, rather look back to see where you've come from than trying to look forward. Um, sometimes we look back and there are regrets when we look back, but we look back and rather celebrate. If we've got to this place now, we're alive enough to celebrate the fact that we are alive. <laughs> and when, mm. when one looks back, you must see some acts of courage. Yeah, and kindness and memories and everybody can think of good things mm. when they look back. And we don't know, and this is where anxiety, you know, can really overwhelm one when you look forward because you can't see the end of the tunnel or how long is this road going to be. But just knowing in one mile, I'm going to put down a stone and I'm going to be okay. And in one mile, I'll be able to celebrate this place I'm at now. Yes, and this dovetails with my next question, which is how do you personally always find hope? For me, I couldn't do it without faith. Um, personally, I, I, I believe in God. I believe I'm created in love on earth for a purpose, to learn how to love and be loved. And I don't know what I would do without that hope. So I, I came to faith the same time I, I was told I was going to go blind. I just thought I can't do this alone. Um, some people see faith as a crutch. I see it as a trampoline. <laughs> so but everyone needs to do their own journey yeah and I think everybody has to find their own hope thank you Jenny where can people get more information about your work on my website you can you can um, get hold of me through my website it's called C-U-R-A-B-L-E so the word spell curable because I believe everything in life is curable even death If you've got eternity in your heart, even death is curable <laughs> and forever. Yeah, but it's about seeing and perceiving, about who you are, your identity, and then about ability or inability and how to cope and solutions around that. So, yeah, cureable.co.za. Yes, and I'll also attach the address to the podcast. Okay. There is an old blog called Going Blind with Insight that was the beginning of my journey and learning to write. Um, I had cancer. I was. Um, I I said to Andre, I want to die, and he said, I, I understand, and if you need to, that's okay. We we got to that point, yeah, and it was from that point I started to write, and the writing really helped me unlock myself, 
and this journey towards um, some kind of healing and hope. So can mm. we still find that on the internet? You can go dig. It's a free WordPress site called goingblindwithinsight.wordpress.com. Okay, I'll do my best to get that one and then I'll also <laughs> attach that to the podcast. And now for those tips on what to do when yeah. you feel overwhelmed. Yeah, so I thought you asked for tips, so I thought I'd take the, the acronym. So the T stands for Thanksgiving and gratefulness. So when you're feeling overwhelmed, to stop yourself and to thank and thank whoever, whether it's God or the universe or nobody or the tree next to you, be grateful for something, whether it's your arm, your leg, the fact that you're breathing. Um, if you stand really still, you'll probably hear the sound of the birds. If you close your eyes, there'll be a lot of things that come alive around you. So just to stop and, and be thankful or grateful for something and tell somebody else. That often lifts your spirits um, when you tell somebody else what you're grateful for. Even if it's your neighbor, hey, I'm so grateful that my arms and legs work today. <laughs> so good to see you. <laughs> yeah, so that's the, that's the T. The I is for inhales. And then exhale longer than you inhaled. So to stop, take a deep breath in, that's, and then let your breath out. And let it out longer than your inhale. And then just do that a few times. And that, that really helps you to be present and to be mindful of where you're at right now. Um, the P on tips is to pray. So whatever religion you are, go for that. Yeah, or prayfully consider. And if you don't pray to God, just say, hey, if there's a God out there, you know, I'm here, show me that you're there. <laughs> whatever your thing is, a type of prayer, if I can even put it like that, just to say what's on your heart out there it's putting words to your feelings so that would be the p and then the s is to be still because you might hear something or you might see something in that moment and uh, you you'll become aware of something that you perhaps weren't aware of before you stopped to give thanks so those are the tips beautiful thank you Jenny. Okay. now it's time for your fun question now, there's the old adage that it's a man's world, but I believe being a woman holds special pleasures. So my question is, is there anything you can think of that makes you feel very feminine? Mm, that is fun, but that's deep. <laughs> that is so deep. Let me think. Yeah, you know, the relationship between a man and woman, and maybe because I'm married and I love being married, um, is, is a symbol of a ring. You know, I'm the diamond, and he's the ring. So, you know, I think sometimes we want women to stand alone, and as a diamond I can stand alone, but I can also be quite cutting and quite sharp. And so I just feel that a man who respects a, a woman, especially who respects a woman who is innovative and creative and is powerful in some way, um, a man who respects that, it's like setting a diamond into a ring, you know, that he sets me up to succeed. Mm. In the same way, I give him value because I can value the role that he plays. And um, they're two different roles. Um, yeah, the role that he plays and appreciate that and respect it and be grateful for that. 
what makes me feel fem- feminine is having my toenails painted. Oh. <laughs> Love that. Mm. Yeah, my favorite thing to have is a pedicure. I can't see my toenails. If they're painted bright red and I'm standing on like a very white, clear surface, then I, it looks like they, I dropped some cherries. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9 